Good morning. Good morning. Please come on in and grab a seat. We're so happy that you are with us here today, uh, here at the chapel. Let me take just a moment um, to welcome you, everybody. We're glad to have you. But if you're with, with us as a visitor for the first, second, third, fourth time, whatever, um, and you would like some more information about the church, when you go out the doors, right to the right, there's a little welcome center and you can get some more information. So please feel free to do that. Plus, we always serve food afterwards right back here. It's a wonderful time just to hang out and meet some of our folks. So if you're visiting with us or if you're a regular, welcome. It's always great to have you here in God's house. So um, let me hit a couple quick announcements with you and then we'll pray. Um, this sat Saturday, there is a men's breakfast at September 9th at 9 a.m. Um, and so if you have any questions, you can contact Ed on that, but we would love to see you come out for that, men. Good food, games, fellowship, the whole thing. So really wel welcome you to that. Next Sunday, we start Sunday school. Um, so September the 10th. And for the adults, we have uh, two different classes being offered. The one class um, is is on defending your faith, and it's basically looking at, okay, how do we handle the fact that a lot of people, why Christianity and not something else? What about the attacks that come against Christianity? So it wants to deal with all the issues related to defending the faith. And the other class that we're offering is enriching your marriage. So we can all take another step in our marriages too, right? So we would welcome you to come on out and just try us out. If you haven't done Sunday school before, if you're a regular, come on back. But uh, enriching your marriage and defending the faith are the two, two uh, Sunday school classes for that. All right, let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer. But again, we welcome you to the, to the chapel. Father, we rejoice. Um, that we know you as Lord and Savior. We, uh, we often forget about the great chasm between you and humanity that was only taken care of because of Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, we thank you that in trusting him, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are your children. We are secure. We are people that have been given your spirits that we might live in a way that honors you and be become more like your beloved son. So, Father, we rejoice as your people. We're keenly aware of our sin. And may we continue to be a people who repent because we just want to become more like Jesus. That's, that's, our, that's our love and that's our passion. So, Lord, we pray you'll continue that good work of making us more like Jesus. Father, we would think uh, of um, our government at the national level, Lord, at the state level, at the local level, and we would pray for all of our officials that you would grant them wisdom uh, to do the right thing, and then conviction and courage to stand up for that. Lord, our hearts are often troubled when we see what's going on in the world around us and in politics and just the whole thing. And yet we know that ultimately you're in control. And we pray, Lord, that we would pray for our leaders, that you would, that you would bring our leaders to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would rule in a way that honors you, for they are your ministers, you tell us in Romans 13. 
Father, we would continue to pray for um, those that have experienced hurricanes and fires, whether that's in Maui or in Florida, that through all of that, Lord, they will come to see the love of Christ and many will be swept into the kingdom. Lord, um, may your people be your people in these times of tragedy and crisis there. Father, we think of our own church, that you would continue uh, your good work in our lives as your people. Um, help us to be keenly aware of what's going on in the lives of those around us. May we reach out and love them and share with them and bear their burdens, all that you call us to do. For the burdens are many, whether it's sickness or loss of job or just difficulty in relationships with families. There's just a whole host of things. May we be a people who listen much and then wisely speak your good word of grace and hope to, to those around us. Lord, we commit this time to you now as we sing. May we sing praise to you from our hearts. May you give us hearts that are attentive to your word as, as Pastor James speaks to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
in riches, in strength or might, but in the grace of God. I glory in weakness to live is Christ, in plenty or in want, that I may know that all may see his power within me. All my boast is in Jesus.
could rescue me from my failure. Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? Only a holy God, only my holy God. Come and behold Him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing only forever, a holy God. Standing on your faithfulness, no 
Father, we thank you that you are faithful. And uh, this morning, Lord, we're going to pray for a very special person in our church family, for uh, Rita Sosnovic and Clyde. And uh, just trust that you will pour your blessing on them. God, we pray to you because you are the same God. And we trust that you will work in very beautiful ways in her life and in Clyde's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. And Clyde Reed, I'm going to ask if you guys would just come up here with us. So, how many years ago was your first surgery? Uh, about seven. All right, about seven years ago. Uh, nine. Nine years ago. Nine. Uh, Rita had gone through open heart surgery, valve repair at that time, right? And this time she's going. What day this week is it? Wednesday. I know it's the 7th. Tuesday, uh, Thursday is the surgery. Okay, so surgery Thursday. I talked to Rita the other day. She said, yep, they're just going to crack me open again. And I'm like, sound like I'm going to a dentist appointment, which tells you that she's a lot stronger than I am. But I've known uh, Clyde and Rita a long time. And uh, Rita, you have always demonstrated a trust in the Lord that is an encouragement to our hearts. Okay, very grateful that uh, there's a steadiness. And uh, I saw that nine years ago. And talking to you on the phone, they came back again. Uh, Rita's just been a great servant in our church family, has just picked up with various things that most people would never even know about. So we thank God for that. And... Uh, we just wanted to pray for you this morning. We, we kind of feel like if we have you up in front of everybody, we'll all be more inclined through the week to be remembering to pray uh, for this family. And so, and just if you don't make the connection, the lady at the piano is uh, Rita and Clyde's daughter. Okay, so some of you, a lot of you know that, some of you don't know that. So you get the uh, connection. So. Yes. All right, so let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for this family and for the incredible blessing that they have been to us in a way that truly is uh, generational. Uh, Lord, uh, seeing Rita and Clyde and their growth in you, being at Clyde's dad's funeral a couple months ago, and just hearing legacy uh, of hope in Christ, of trust in Christ. And my heart was so encouraged to hear Clyde that day just get up and talk about trusting in Christ resting in him, even in his dad's passing. And Lord, today we, we come with that same kind of trust, because as we have sung, you are the same God. And we ask you to move in power now in Rita's life. Yes. Lord, this week, uh, during the surgery on Thursday, we pray protection over the doctors that will operate on her. We pray for protection against all infections. We pray for a very positive and long-lasting uh, result from this surgery that is positive and that enables Rita and Clyde to serve you, God, uh, as they so long to do. So uh, peace over them, we pray, over the family, Jillian, the grandkids, Josh, extended family members, Jesse, and, and the grandkids, Lord, just peace over them. Help them to claim you as the same God who has very powerfully demonstrated in his word, his power. And Lord, we are praying that over Rita today. Just pray that over her and that the presence of your spirit would speak peace and calm and continue blessing into their lives. And we all together as a church pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Love you guys. Thank you. All right. Love you. All right.
By the way, one quick announcement. There's a little baby in the back that I announced last week. I forgot her mother's name because I turned 63 yesterday. Okay, so I've got issues. Okay, and I, you don't have to tell me because I'm aware of it. Right? Uh, so this is little baby Lily. Casilio, okay? Can you guys just uh, quick stand there, Dana and Zach? These are the new mom and dad. And this is a beautiful, yeah. If you've ever been uh, in a room to watch a baby born, you know that's another proof of God's uh, miraculous power. So we're grateful to have you guys here, and I remembered your name today, Dana. <laughs> okay, let's go to God's Word. Pastor James will preach from this, this passage. <clears throat> this is uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to the end. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Uh, children, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. Um, I guess I guess I should give a um, update. So, um, so thank you for your prayers um, for uh, my family as we've been uh, going through challenging times. Uh, my daughter Abby has been struggling with uh, her Crohn's disease and some other things, and it's been a, a pretty um, a difficult, painful time for her. Uh, so she's uh, 27, and um, she's had it was diagnosed when she was 10, and so uh, it's been 17 years, the majority of her life, she has been struggling with this. So um, if any of you have had anything like that, it's a um, challenging thing. And then Amy, um, uh, my wife, my lovely wife, she's struggled with, uh, I guess it was three or four weeks ago, um, she went to the hospital, or two or three weeks ago. Um, She's got a thyroid issue, she's got some AFib, but primarily there's some other chronic issues that she has that you can just pray about. Thankfully, she's not in the hospital. Um, she was hoping to be here today, just didn't feel uh, too up to it. Um, but uh, your prayers are greatly appreciated. I, I genuinely, we genuinely appreciate that. I know that there are many in our congregation are struggling um, with uh, multiple things and your prayers are greatly appreciated. So, um, so we thank you. Uh, so let us 
Amazingly, we are coming to the end of our second book in this series. Uh, the series is Steadfast Living in an Unsteady World, and we are coming to the end of Peter, Second uh, Peter. And uh, as, as I was thinking about this, four words just came to my head uh, over the last several weeks as I've been preparing this message. Uh, last days and last words. I don't know why. Um, last days. Well, I think I know why, because this whole thing that you just saw Steve, or heard Steve read is about the final analysis, the last days. Uh, uh, my mom was over yesterday, and she was asking about all of the things that are happening in our culture and all the things that are happening in weather, and she says, in essence, do you think we're in our last days? And um, I think in some ways we are. I don't know what that last days is. Christ can come back today or he can come back a thousand years from now. Um, but we should be living in light of the fact that this is the last days. And, you know, scripture talks about last days. It says in, in first, P, um, first Timothy, it says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come great difficulties. Uh, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And as Paul was writing that 2,000 years ago. That sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? And so he was looking at the last days of his time, and we are still looking at the last days of our time. Or Paul in Romans chapter 1, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, but God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived from the creation of this world in the things that we have been made, so that they, humanity, is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark. And claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. And then he goes into giving them up. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. He gave them up to dishonorable passions. He gave them up to a debased mind. And the very last verse of chapter 1 of Romans says this, For although they knew the righteous deeds that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's our time. That's really our time. A godlessness, an unrighteousness, a suppressing down, even though they know God, they fail to trust God, and he's given them up, up, up. And the things that God would say are true and right, the world would say is evil and wrong. They would call you hateful for believing some of the things that you have and when the, believing some of the things that you hold to. So 
Peter is writing to a group of people that are in a last days, and they're getting ready to suffer some significant trauma. He wrote his first book to people, and he's talking about the things that they need to deal with in the church, and then he's writing the second book about false teachers in the church as well and the things that are happening in the world. And now he's coming to this point, and he's saying, you need to deal with last days. But the second two words that I was thinking about this week is last words. We had the privilege of preaching through Mark two or three, four years ago, I don't even remember, and Mark was written by Mark, but in his ear was probably Peter. So we got to hear Peter through Mark many times, and then we got a chance to go through 1 Peter for several months, and now we have gone through 2 Peter. And these are the last written words of the Apostle Peter. And as he's thinking about last days and his last words, what he wants to do is to encourage the believers of his time, and he's encouraging us, Lord willing, over the last 2,000, from 2,000 years. I have loved preaching and teaching through this, sitting down and listening to the ministry of my brothers as I get a chance to listen to them preach it, or me getting an opportunity. I love this. I love Peter because Peter is a mess at times in his life, and that's kind of like me. And God can take a mess and do something amazing with that mess. And he did with Peter. And Peter is there, and the night when Christ was betrayed, he's running away in fear, and Peter's now almost at the door of his death, boldly proclaiming truth. So I want you to keep that in mind as we work through this. There are going to be five points that we're going to look at this morning. We're anticipating eternity, how we live our lives to reflect Christ's coming. Would you pray with me? So Lord, as we look at this passage... And as we think about eternity, Father, I pray that you would remind us of the profound implications of your divine justice and judgment. I pray that we would look through the prophetic lens of Peter and see what you're going to do in eternity, Lord. I pray that we would see the necessity of righteousness in our lives. I pray that we would see that we have an opportunity to be a light for you in this dark world. Remind us of this unwavering call to honor you in godliness and holiness. I pray that you would help us to see that we could be steady in an unsteady world, Lord. I pray that we could reflect your son. I pray that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you're going to be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's look. The gravity of godliness, verses 11 through 13, the gravity of godliness. He talks about the imperative of holy living in the last days. Now, what does he say here in verse 11? Since, going back to what Pastor Tim preached on last time, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of godliness and holiness? He's saying since this end is coming, and he's saying since the judgment is coming, how should you live? You should live lives of excellence. He's saying that in light of the coming judgment, in light of eternity, we're not merely a suggestion to live holy lives. He is commanding us and directing us apostolically to live in a way that reflects God in this world. 
He's talking about this excellence of life. It's not merely average adherence to God's word. It is full adherence. And in the imminent return of Christ, as we see his imminent return there in our lives and in our vision, and the justice and the judgment that is coming, we should really have an extraordinary commitment to living in a way that reflects him. He talks here about holiness. It's interesting that Peter starts by saying, what manner of way should we live? He's, at, he's almost asked the question, but he can't stop himself. He gives you the answer. It's like, you know, a teacher is giving you the question, but then they give you the answer to the answer to the test. That's exactly what he does. What sort of people ought you to be? Lives of holiness and godliness. Holiness refers to the externals aspect. It's the visible aspects of your Christian life. It's how you behave, how you interact, how you speak, how you respond. It's that holy life. You remember in Romans, it talked about they were unholy, unrighteous. And so it's the external things. It's that you're distinctly, distinctively different in the fact that you're separated from sin. You look different than the world. See, you're supposed to be a light in the darkness. But the godliness aspect, if the holiness is the external you, the godliness is the internal you. It speaks of your internal spiritual life. It talks about your connection with God. It, it's reflective in the fact that you have a reverential attitude towards God, that he becomes central in your being, and everything that you do is centered on him. And this holiness and godliness, these two things put together, make a comprehensive picture of what a Christian is supposed to look like. And the actions that we do and the heart that we have is supposed to be displaying Christ in our lives. And Peter says, I want you to live in a way that is so excellent. I want you to live in a way that is holy and godly. And then he talks about judgment. He says here in verse 11, he says that the things will be, watch what he says. He says, and these things will be thus dissolved, dissolved, the coming judgment. He uses the word dissolved here, and then he will use it again in verse 12, waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Some versions actually use it three times. So there is this dissolving that is going to come, and it underscores that we live in a transient nature of this world, and it is going to burn. It's going to go. It's gone. And he's telling us that life's true essence is not accumulating these earthly treasures. It's not about the things that we grab onto. It is about finding a life that is pleasing God and reflecting him. And the temporary nature of our lives, our lives are but a vapor. And the things that we have are just but a vapor. But there's something greater that we need to look towards. He's talking about the judgment. Now, this judgment that he's talking about, now, I said that he wants to give us encouragement, but what kind of encouragement would we have if we thought about the fact that we are going to stand before a holy God and have to give an account for our lives? Very honestly, that, that could be pretty scary for most of us. If we're, if we're thinking about the fact that this sovereign God who knows everything that I've ever thought, ever spoken, ever done in my life is going to see me and stand, I'm going to stand before him. How can I stand before him? If that exposing fire of God's justice, his exposing fire of his judgment comes upon us, how in the world is he going to look at me and see holy? and godliness. 
And he's talking about this, and he's asking this question, and he's talking about this fire, and, and I, I guess, in essence, it would lead to some level of fear and insecurity, because very honestly, if, if I thought about all the thoughts that I had just even this morning, and the words and the actions that I've done even this morning, that God could be displeased at, how can I stand confidently before that holy God? Because I think I would feel greatly insecure. I'm sure you feel fearful. Some of you, I know, struggle with doubts and insecurities. And to see the godly life and the holy life, it's probably an impossible task. It's not even probably. It is an impossible task. You and I can't do it. So when we're anticipating this judgment to come, how can I stand confidently? I stand confidently in one person, Christ. See, the good news of the gospel is this, that the holy God and the God of justice and judgment came down here and took on human flesh. See, the creator, the sustainer, the rightful end of all praise, the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, truly God and truly man. And when he lived a perfect and righteous life, holiness and glory and godliness in every thought, every attitude, every word, every action, he did. And then what he did for those of us who trust in him, for every person that clings to him, he went to a bloody cross for you. And all of your sin and all of your failures and all of those things that would keep you from feeling confident before that holy God, he paid for you. He paid the full penalty for you. And all the anger and wrath of that holy God and holy love come together in Christ on that cross. He died in your place on the cross, taking God's wrath that you would have spent eternity in hell for. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left what? A crimson stain. But he has washed it white as snow. See, what Peter is saying is this. I want you to be able to stand confidently and boldly, not in your own righteousness, but in an, an inherent righteousness. It's been inherited to you. It has been imputed to you. It has been granted to you. It's been given to you. And so that you can stand confident in that day of judgment because you know I'm pure in the eyes of God. Not because of me, but because of Christ alone. And so, so we could stand, and he's saying, I want you to stand in that kind of holiness. You stand in that. You can stand, and this is not this transient presence, but the eternal future, my eternal future and your eternal future is absolutely secure because of the person and work of Christ. I, I talk to my people sometimes about, you know, when you struggle looking back, look back to one event, maybe two, the cross and the empty tomb. And all of your guilt and all of your trials and all of your difficulties, remind yourself and all of your sins, remind yourself of the cross and the empty tomb and see it through that lens. That's what Peter is asking you to do. He's saying that the day of the Lord is coming, things are going to be dissolved, but I want you to live holy lives. Holy lives in the fact that you stand in Christ's holiness, but holy lives in that you start to exam, ex, um, show out Christ's holiness. 
In this holiness, we're not earning our salvation. Christ has already earned it for you, but you're evidencing your salvation. You're evidencing that you are a believer by living holy lives and godly lives because he has done something in you. Now he wants to do something through you. Verse 12 says this, waiting and hastening the day of the Lord God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will be melted and burned. Okay, so he's once again anticipating this judgment that's coming. And it's interesting that he gives these two words, waiting for and hastening, these two phrases. Waiting for talks about this idea of an eager anticipation that I'm eagerly longing for that day of God's judgment. I'm eagerly longing for the day of Christ's return. There's this, this, this thing that is happening in me that it's not just passive, I am actively moving towards this, but I am hastening the day. It's not just waiting for him, hastening, which is, I I found really interesting. It implies this intense desire. It's something that is, I'm looking for in my life. It's a deep yearning within me as a Christian for the day of the Lord. And what God is doing in a believer is two things. It's dual role, your dual roles as a believer. You are called to wait for that day and you're called to hasten that day. You bring about that day, how? By going out and sharing the word. Jesus had talked about the fact that the gospel has to be shared with all the nations. The seed was planted way back in Abraham. It said, Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of this world will be blessed. Jesus had talked about in Matthew 24 that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. When he gave the great commission in Matthew 28, he says, I want you to go out into all the world and preach the good news. You hasten that day by going out and sharing the good news. So what do you do? You wait for and long for, but then you hasten the day by sharing that good good news with others. Now, the exact timing of Christ's return, that's all God's ordination. He is sovereignly ordained when when Christ is going to come back. From God's eyes, it is fixed. But from our vision, we are hastening the day through our actions and the things that we do. And the transformation that he talks about here, things will be burned and melt away. It's the heavens and the earth will be destroyed, will be melted away. And there's something radically different. It's going to be brand new. This is not kind of like those tubs, you know, the company that puts those tub covers on. You got an old tub and shower, and then they put the new, they put something on the outside, but you still got the old tub and shower underneath. You just don't see it. That's not what God does when he transforms our world. He just changes it. Brand new. And you're brand new. This world's brand new. And Jesus says, I can make all things new. And so, so God wants to do something. So your, your goal is to have this anticipation, but then you have to be actively participating in what God is going to do. Anticipating God's return, but actively working day after day. And it pushes us against passive Christianity. So many of us sit with our hands, sit on our hands and do nothing. We speak nothing about the word. We don't read the word. We don't share the word. We don't act in service. And that's not what God wants. God wants to do something in you and then through you. Verse 13 says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. You've been saved from the wrath of God, but what are you being saved to? You're being saved to glory. You've been saved to a new heaven, a new earth. And what it reminds you is that you get a new body. 
even as we're talking about our bodies breaking down and the struggles that we have and the pains that we have, the relationship difficulties, all the trials, all the troubles, all the difficulties will be brand new, changed. New heaven, new earth. And and Peter is alluding to what happened in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 65, it talks about what's going to happen with this new heaven. He says in verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens, God says, on the new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard the sounds of weeping or crying or distress. No more shall there be in it the infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill his, I'm sorry, does not fill out his days, or a young man shall not die a hundred years. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They shall build there and one another and inhabit one another. For like the days of the trees shall be the days of my people, and my chosen people shall long enjoy the works of my hand. They shall labor not in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be an offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. He's talking about the fact that there is a day that's coming that God is going to give a new heaven and a new earth. He says the same thing in, the, in uh, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. He says, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make, shall I remain before them, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So God is talking about this new heaven, this new earth, and it goes all the way back to the very last, chapter, last chapters of the Bible in Revelation 22, he says this. In Revelation 22, Jesus is talking here and he says that the angel of the Lord showed me a river of water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, a tree of life and 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And the servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will not need light of a lamp or sun, for the Lord their God shall be their light, and he will reign forever." And he, Jesus, said to them, these words are trustworthy and true. And Lord, the God of spirits and the God of prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. For behold, I come soon. Blessed is the one who keeps these words and the prophecies of this book. What God is telling us over and over again is that he is going to do something radically new and he's a river of life that he wants to pour through your life. He wants to radically change you from the inside out. So 
Peter is arguing that first, you need to be very focused on the fact of godliness. This is a major aspect of your life. Second, he's focusing on gospel-driven godliness. He's saying in light of that gospel, in light of what God has done, I want you to live a life that is gospel-centered. Verse 14 says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Now, as we've been thinking about this book of 2 Peter, what he's been arguing throughout this book is some of the same themes that he is um, ending with here. If you, if you haven't been with us through the whole series, he's summarizing his whole book here in these last verses. He talks here, if you remember in chapter 1, verse 5, he said this, For this reason, make every effort, diligence, to supplement your faith virtue and your virtue with knowledge, and then he goes down a list of virtues. In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fail. He's he's talking about the fact that there should be this practice that is happening in your life. And Peter himself says that I'm even going to do it. In verse 15, he says, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, my death, that you may be able to at any time to recall these things. So Peter's writing his last words so that they can live holy lives. So he says in verse 14 that what he wants them to do is to be diligent. It's a call to holiness. We need to be gospel-driven. If we can remind ourselves of the gospel, that gospel transforms us and it should change us. That should be the motivation for our lives. The emphasis of this verse is holiness and godliness. It's in the anticipation of the day that is ahead of us. It's not about external things that we do. It's about the internal works of our heart and our lives, that there's a a genuine transformation of what God has done in you and through you. And that as you look forward to eternity that should affect the way that you live today. Look ahead, but look at what you are doing today because God wants to do something radically different. He says here, which I find very helpful to me, he says that we are waiting for the hastening of that day. He talks about living in such a way where there's this promise, this gospel promise in our lives. He talks about this diligent search that we are spotless and blameless, but he talks about peace. He talks about peace. Our world lacks peace. The fighting, the vitriol, the anger, the separation, the division, the despair, the despondency are because people lack peace today. And what Peter is saying is this, that it's in the gospel that you can stand confidently in justice, in the judgment. It's in the gospel that you can recognize that you have a real relationship with a God who loves you and cares for you and wants to do something radically in your life. And it's in the gospel that you can have peace. Peace with God, peace with others, peace within and so he's, he's arguing here that I want you to see this great picture of Christian discipleship that as you are standing in the gospel and living and breathing the gospel, God is doing something in you, this personal sanctification. He's changing you and that he's changing you in your beliefs. He's changing you in your behavior so that you could be a light to the world that is out there. Well, it's important for us to be gospel-centered in our godliness, absolutely. And it's important for us to remember the gravity of godliness given the, the eternity that is ahead of us. But how do we do that? How do I live in such a way that reflects him? He says, you need to be grounded in the word. 
you need to be grounded in the word. Verse 15, verse B, it says this. He says that, and therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for those things, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother, Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in his letters when he speaks to them in a matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do with other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. So what he's saying is this. I need you to know that the gravity of weight of the life that is here. I need you to live in a gospel-centered way, but you do that by being grounded by the word. And the word is so important. It It is so vital for you as a believer, Peter knew that, and he is claiming that you need to know the word. You and I need to know that. And he goes back and he says that Paul understood this, and he he gives some alignment with Paul. And I don't know why. I don't know if people were pitting Paul versus Peter and saying that some of the things that Peter was teaching were going against Paul. I'm not completely sure. But what Peter is saying is that if you read Paul, Paul is saying exactly the same things that I'm saying. He's talking about a coming judgment. If you read Paul, he does that. Paul talks about salvation. Paul calls us to holy living and godliness. They're exactly the same things that Peter and Paul are saying. And that there is no division between Peter and Paul when it comes to these messages. And he talks about the complexity of God's word. I know that for some people, they struggle with reading God's word and you read it and it's like, I just don't understand. That's okay. If the infinite God could make something that you completely understand, then he's not really that big. (laughs) I mean, he's giving you 66 books. He's giving you the opportunity to take complex scriptures and compare them with scriptures that are not as complex. And you compare scripture with scripture. That means you can't just read it. You have to study it. And you can't just study it. You have to meditate on it. You can't just meditate on it. You've got to memorize it. And then you need to put yourself under teaching and preaching of that word so that you can grow. But God has given you his word, his word, his precious word. It's the authority for your life. The authority of the Bible is found in the very fact that it's called the very word of God. These 66 books of the Old and New Testament were breathed out by God to you. They're the only written revelation of God to his people. It's infallible in all that it says and all that it affirms. It should be your ultimate authority, not what is on Fox News, not what is on CNN, not what is in the New York Times. What should be the ultimate authority of your life are these 66 books. And when you read it and when you study it, And when you meditate on it, the written revelation, what God does by his Holy Spirit is he speaks to you. I love this quote by uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He says, in other words, as individuals study the Bible, God speaks to them in their study and transforms them by the truths they find there. There is a direct encounter of the individual believer with God. So then when you open God's word, By the Holy Spirit, he is talking to you. So many people today want to hear 
other things outside of God's word and they want God to speak to them outside of God's word. And God says, I've given you 66 books. This is how I'm primarily speaking to you. You speak to God in prayer. He speaks to you in his word. And as you learn that word, and as you study that word, God wants to do something amazing in your heart and in our life. In the Psalm, Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony or statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and righteous altogether. And watch what it says here. They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They're sweeter than honey than the honey of the comb. By them, your servant is warned, and by them, there's great reward. Who can discern error? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sin. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable for you. So, so he begins by telling you that you need to be, um, you need to understand the gravity of the world and the godliness. He talks about the fact that you need to be gospel driven in your godliness. He talks about the fact that you need to be grounded in the word in your godliness. And he tells you now that you need to be guarded against error. Verse 16 says this, and he does in all his letters, as he does in all his letters, Paul there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures. Peter gives a warning against distortion of God's word. He's cautioning that, that you can have somebody, you could turn on the TV today, and there are many people that call themselves Christians. They turn on, you turn on the TV and you look, and this person is telling you something, and they're taking God's word, and they're twisting it. They're distorting it. There are people today that are using God's word to say that the shameless things that are being done today are what God is ordaining. You will only know that is not true by understanding this word and loving this word. You need to be guarded against the error of this time. The lies, this misuse of scripture is heavy in our culture. And so what he's arguing is what he struggled with 2,000 years ago is the very same thing that we're struggling. People are misinterpreting scripture and they're opening themselves up to greater levels of judgment. Guard yourself from that. Guard yourself from false teachers. I challenge you, you must write down everything that you hear and compare it to God's word. I pray that what you hear from Doug and Tim and I are driven out of his word. And if it is not, come and tell us. Let us know. And if it is, then it's not coming from us. It's coming from who? God. But there are many people out in this world that are teaching you things that are absolutely wrong and those that are ignorant, unknowing, and unstable will find themselves caught in the lies. And he says in verse 17, you therefore, beloved, know beforehand, I'm warning you. He's saying, I'm warning you that this is coming. I'm warning you that people are gonna be carried away. I need you not to be carried away. You keep your stability by keeping yourself founded in God's word. You keep your feet firmly planted on God's word, and then you will not be swept away. The error of the lawless people was causing them to lose their own stability, lose their security, and regress spiritually. And Peter ends his letter with growing in grace and knowledge. 
He says in verse 18, but growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to him be the glory now and forevermore. And it's this growth, this relationship with Christ is this intimate relationship. It's getting to know him and to love him just like you do in a relationship. It's knowing him and it's growing in his grace and, and growth in Christ is not optional. It's an imperative for a Christian. And growing in the grace of God, understanding his unmerited favor, it's grace upon grace. It's not just saving grace, it's sanctifying grace. It is grace upon grace, thing upon thing that God has done in your life. That grace causes you to mature in character. That grace causes you to grow in holiness. That grace gives you the foundation to deal with this world that you're dealing with. He talks about the Lord and Savior. There's so many people that count Jesus as Savior, but don't see him as the Lord of their lives. Jesus Christ is not only Savior, that he redeems us from sin, but he's the Lord. He should be the sovereign authority in our lives. And Peter ends his letter with a doxology. To him be the glory. It's a short hymn of praise. It's ascribing glory to God. It's affirming that Jesus is deity and that his place and to focus our attention on him and to glory in him. If I were to try to boil down these points, I want you to consider several things. I think we need to be Christ-centered, cross-centered, word-centered, spirit-glorifying, spirit-filled and God-glorifying. Christ-centered revolves around the fact that everything that you do should be about Christ. He's not just part of your life, he is your life. He is your identity. He is your purpose. You should be anchored in him. Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. But you're not supposed to just be Christ-centered, but you need to be cross-centered. The cross is not just a historical event, but it's the defining moment of our faith. It's the central aspect of human history. And so that as you think about Christ, it's not just thinking about Christ. There are a lot of people that will preach Christ, but they don't preach Christ's cross. I need you to remind yourself of the depth of your sin and the weight of God's glory that came through that cross, his holy love and his holy justice. But it's not just Christ-centered. It's not just cross-centered. We need to be word-centered. You need to know the word. You need to study the word. You need to put yourself in a place where you are going to be cherishing the word. And as you do that, you'll be spirit-filled not filled by the things that are happening around us, but filled by the Holy Spirit, recognizing that we're submitting to his work. In Galatians 5, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The gospel-driven life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Christ-centered, cross-centered, word-centered, spirit-filled, but reflect God, God-glorifying. That's what Peter's arguing here. He's saying... Grow in godliness and holiness. The Westminster Catechism said this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So I ask you some questions before we go. I want you to reflect on and evaluate your spiritual growth. Where are you at spiritually? I want you to think about a quiet moment of your life where you could sit down and evaluate your spiritual journey. Am I growing in grace? Am I growing in the knowledge of Christ? I want you to also reflect on your focus. What have you been focusing on? Have you been focusing on eternity 
and what is awaiting? Or if you are looking back, are you looking back only at the cross and an empty tomb? Look back at that cross, look ahead to a risen, a victorious savior and let him be the foundation of your heart. Evaluate your spiritual growth, consider your focus, but examine your readiness. If Christ was coming back today, are you ready? Are you eagerly anticipating his return? I want you to pray. I want you to pray for God to give you discernment. God, open my eyes to see where I am not growing in grace. God, open my heart so that I can grow and so I can be more like you. God, open my eyes so that I can see you and then see, can't talk today. See you and talk about you and share the good news with others. Lastly, I want you to consider this. How committed are you to learning? Uh, We are going to be doing some Sunday school classes here uh, starting next week. Some of the Bible studies are going to kick off again. Are you engaged in a Bible study? Are you joining a small group? Maybe you need to learn more about God's grace. Great theological courses that are out there that you can take, learn. Foster relationships. I want you to surround yourself with fellow believers that can encourage, that can correct, that can support you. I want you to engage in mentorship. Maybe you need to be mentored, or maybe you need to mentor someone else. But then I want you to live expectantly. I want you to think about Christ's return. Christ's return is imminent. Allow that truth to inform your daily choices. Allow that truth to inform your priorities. Allow that truth to inform your interactions. Share the hope with others. Spread the joy, the anticipation of Christ's glorious return. Glory, hallelujah. So Lord, I pray. Father, we live in anticipation of eternity. The anticipation is um, for some that are seated here, probably pretty scary because they already know that they don't have the righteousness of Christ in their lives. They already know that they're going to try to stand in their own righteousness and that will fail. I pray that today there would not be a person that would leave the sanctuary that doesn't know Christ, that they would not leave before they talk to someone about Christ. Father, I don't know if your son goes back today and I don't know if this is the last day of our lives, but I do know this, that for those of us that know your son, we stand in his righteousness and his glory. So open the eyes and the hearts of those that don't know your son so that they could see their sin, but see the savior. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, I pray that as Peter said, let us anticipate that day when we will see him face to face. Let us anticipate the brand new world. Let us anticipate no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tear, no more death. And let us anticipate the day that we can grow even more in grace and the knowledge of your son. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen.
to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again.
Amen. Lord, we are so grateful for the truths that we can hear spoken and the truths that we can sing. Uh, Lord, glory be to your name. Uh, we praise you and we thank you for the joy that you have promised to those that know you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who does not know Christ personally, then we would just encourage them, Lord, to come and to say, hey, I need to trust Christ and to know him as Savior and Lord Jesus. I pray this is in that beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, so we want you to sit down just for one moment.